Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. You'll notice in your bulletin insert that we are not in the book of Acts this morning. We are in the book of Galatians, and you may be wondering why in the world are we in the book of Galatians? Well, interestingly, as Nate finished up preaching on Paul's first missionary journey last week in Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, when they get back to Syrian Antioch, which was their home base about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, when Paul and Barnabas get back, not long after they get back, they find out that people have followed them in order to undermine Paul's mission and message um, when he founded those churches in Galatia. There's a little map on the back side of your insert, and you can see the churches that Paul um, visited during his first missionary journey, especially the, the churches in Galatia. So when Paul gets home after Acts 14 from the first missionary journey, he finds out that people have followed him to undermine the message of the gospel. And so between Acts 14 and Acts 15, Paul writes the book of Galatians to address these issues. That's why we are in the book of Galatians this morning. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Paul writes, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, now what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Hopefully you've got, maybe you've had some coffee this morning. Hopefully you got a good night's sleep last night. Because we're going to get into some dense material this morning. Um, in fact, our, our graduating seniors, it would be nice right now if they had those study Bibles, Nate. Do they have them in their possession? Yes, they do. This would be a good morning to, to reference the study Bible. Um, because what we're doing, like I said, is, is um, as we go through the life and ministry of Paul, through the book of Acts. We're going to also, we'll, we'll take a break from Acts, or we're going to follow Acts chronologically, and when Paul writes a letter, okay, that occurred in the timeline of Acts, we're going to dive into the letter at that point, if that makes sense, okay? So after Acts 14, in response to people that were undermining his ministry in Galatia, in the churches he just planted, he fires off the book of Galatians to the churches in that region. You can see that on your map. And so that's, that's kind of what we're doing. So a couple weeks ago, you may or may not remember, we looked at the curious case of John Mark, if you remember that. On Paul's first missionary journey, it was Paul, it was Barnabas, okay? And they took with them as their assistant, John Mark. John Mark is the same person who would years later write the Gospel of Mark. So John Mark was a younger man at that time. He goes with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. But shortly into the first missionary journey, after a prominent Gentile had been converted, a man by the name of Sergius Paulus, John Mark said, I'm out. And John Mark deserts Paul and Barnabas and he goes back to Jerusalem. And that infuriated the Apostle Paul. He viewed it as a very serious offense that John Mark had deserted them in their first missionary journey. Many scholars speculate that John Mark left because he was uncomfortable with the fact that this prominent Gentile, this Roman official, had gotten converted and was brought into the church. And many scholars speculate that's what led John Mark to go back home. Like we said in that sermon, we, we can't relate to how difficult it was when the Lord brought the Gentiles into the church. That brought into the church a whole host of practical issues how they should be integrated into the church, what they should do. It was, it was very, very difficult. For thousands of years, the Jews had been the people of God. The Gentiles had been 
viewed as unclean. Well, now, you know, they're part of the church, and that was difficult. Okay? Well, today, we're going to see that the conversion of the Gentiles caused another rift. This time, it wasn't a rift with John Mark. This time, it's a rift with Peter. The Apostle Paul, okay, gets into a rift with John Mark and Barnabas over John Mark's desertion. This week, we're going to see that Paul gets into a conflict with the Apostle Peter, one of the most distinguished and important of all of the Apostles. And it's going to relate back to this Jewish-Gentile issue, okay? The tension was when Peter withdraws himself from the Gentiles, and we're going we're gonna to look at that, you know. The text indicates that Peter feared this circumcision party, okay, in Syrian Antioch, and then he withdraws from them, and that's a big problem, and Paul addresses that. Okay, so, the context of the book of Galatians goes back a number of years to Peter's food vision back in Acts chapter 10. If you will recall that, the apostle Peter gets this food vision. He sees this vision where a sheet is lowered from heaven and on this sheet are all kinds of unclean animals. You know, it could be, you know, something like shellfish and, and, and pigs, you know, swine, things like that. Uh, animals the Jews be, viewed to be unclean. Do you remember what God told Peter? God told Peter, you know, these animals that you have previously viewed as unclean are now clean. Okay? And in so doing, Peter understood that God was telling him that not only are all animals unclean, what does that mean about all people, especially Gentiles? They're clean. So all these animals are clean, the kosher laws are over, and all people groups, Gentiles, are clean. Following that, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. Okay, and so now the church understands the gospel has officially gone to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are brought in. Okay, that's, that's the background. It's one thing for the Jews to know that the gospel of Jesus has gone to the Gentiles. It's a whole other matter to know how to integrate the Gentiles into the church. Okay, so let's just slow down. There actually should be a test afterwards, okay? That would, that would really help people to dial in. This was an interesting time for the church. Because in addition to worshiping on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, the church by this time, you know, most likely had started to, you know, perhaps had started gathering for the first time on Sunday mornings, okay? They also were gathering together on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. Okay, so these, these Jews who have now trusted in Jesus, they're trusting in Jesus, and they are attending the synagogues with all the other Jews who have not trusted in Jesus, okay? And Gentiles are coming too. Gentiles who trusted in Jesus were also coming to these synagogues. And so it brought up a lot of practical questions. Should we circumcise the Gentiles? Because typically when Gentiles converted to Judaism in the Old Testament, what would Gentiles do? They would get circumcised. 
they would oftentimes like follow Jewish dietary laws. All right? Well, now in the New Covenant, the Gentiles are being taught that they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to honor these kosher laws. There's only one thing they had to do to be in fellowship with God. What was that? Trust in the Lord Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus honoring the kosher laws. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. I can't begin to explain the number of problems that caused in these synagogues. I mean, that was completely disrupting the Jewish way of life, okay? And so after Peter got his food vision, and after the gospel went to the Gentiles, and after the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, it created a whole host of practical problems. And so there was all this friction between Jews and Gentiles in the church, okay? That's the background. So, after it's confirmed, if you can remember, this is a good overview of Acts, okay? After the Gentiles are brought in, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles, the church in Jerusalem understands this, agrees with this. The third largest city in the Roman Empire that was full of Gentiles was Syrian Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Barnabas was kind of in charge of, of ministering in that area. Do you remember who Barnabas went and got? He went and got Paul from Tarsus, and he brought him with him. And they taught at Syrian Antioch for an entire year. The gospel exploded among the Gentiles in Syrian Antioch. It became like Paul's home base. Okay, in Acts 11, at the end of Acts 11, this prophet appears named Agabus. And Agabus has this revelation that there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem and in Judea. And so the church at Syrian Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas ministered for about a year, they send Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to give the gift. In the course of giving the gift, Paul meets with Peter, James, and John. And he reviews the gospel he's been preaching in Syrian Antioch, okay? That's what Paul covers in Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Let's look at that. Galatians 2, 1 through 10, Paul is describing what happened when he took the gift with him to Jerusalem. You know, Agabus had given him this revelation, this prophecy, famine's going to happen. They send famine relief to Jerusalem. This is Paul's account of what happens when he gets here. That's how amazing these Bible books are. You have Luke's perspective in Acts. Now you have Paul's perspective, okay? Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Paul writes, Then after 14 years, he means 14 years after his conversion. Then 14 years, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. He's talking about the revelation that Agabus gave about a famine. And I sat before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential. He's talking about Peter, James, and John. I set before them the gospel 
that I proclaim among the Gentiles. He's talking about among the Gentiles at Syria and Antioch. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So, in a sense, um, what Paul is doing is he's killing two birds with one stone. He comes, he drops off the gift, then he meets with the big three, Peter, James, and John. And he cross-checks what he's preaching in Syrian Antioch with the gospel that they're preaching in Jerusalem, okay? Which is a wise thing for Paul to do. Wanted to make sure what he was saying wasn't off base. He knew it wasn't, but he was just checking. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Now stop there. Paul took Titus with him on purpose. Many scholars think Titus is a Greek. Titus is uncircumcised, okay? Titus had been converted under Paul's ministry. So he takes Titus with him, along with Barnabas, when they go and drop off this gift. He's forcing the issue. Does that, so he's taking an uncircumcised Greek with him to Jerusalem, and he's trying to create this issue. He knew that people in Jerusalem, there were Jews in Jerusalem, who thought that even though you believed in Jesus, that the Gentiles also needed to live like a Jew. They needed to do all these things, okay? So Paul intentionally takes this uncircumcised Greek with him, knowing that people are going to yell at him. And ultimately, Peter, James, and John agree with Paul that he does not need to be circumcised. What message does that send? What's salvation based on? Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And so Peter, James, and John agree with Paul, Titus doesn't need to be circumcised, okay? Verse 3 of Galatians 2, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Freedom from what? What's the freedom from? Freedom from having to follow these Old Testament laws in order to be saved. Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery or back into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That was like Paul's greatest asset. He was not going to allow the message of Jesus Christ to be diluted or changed in any way. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And Paul was extremely committed to that message. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus the kosher laws. It's just Jesus. Look at verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential... And Paul wants to clarify, so in the parenthesis, that's his own kind of parenthetical comment, like, to those who seemed influential, he's going to say, they're not influential to me. Peter, James, and John may think they're all that, they're not to me, is kind of what he's saying. I don't think they thought they were all that, that's just me saying that. Um, 
And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Like, he doesn't love Peter, James, and John any more than the rest of us. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. In other words, they didn't add to my understanding of the gospel. They agreed in every respect to what I'd been preaching in Syria and Antioch. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, you know, that's Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, the circumcised, that's a reference for Jews. Verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Look at verse 9. And when James... That's the brother of Jesus. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So, I wonder why Paul is writing this to the Galatians. Why is he telling them this? Reading the book of Galatians is like listening to, you know, a phone conversation, but you're only hearing one side. And so we have to try to piece together, by reading the book of Galatians, we have to try to figure out what were his opponents doing? How were those who opposed Paul trying to undermine his church planting effort? Well, a lot of them were saying, so they had followed along after Paul and Barnabas. And they were saying, well, Paul's message is inconsistent with the message that the apostles are preaching in Jerusalem. Okay, Paul is kind of under their authority. He's preaching a different message than them. Okay, and so when Paul writes to the Galatians, he's like, there's no different message. Peter, James, and I, and John and I, we're on the same page. We have the same gospel, okay? They all agree. So, what's interesting is, Okay, if we can kind of follow, I know this is a lot to track through, okay? Take a deep breath. Between Galatians 2.10 and Galatians 2.11, there is a time gap. Paul goes on his first missionary journey with Barnabas between Galatians 2.10 and 2.11. So the events of Galatians 2, 1 through 10, happen earlier than the events that Paul describes in Galatians 2, 11 through 15. So there's a time gap. So between Galatians 2.10 and Galatians 2.11, that's when Paul and Barnabas, they go off on their missionary journey, okay? Then they come back, and they minister for a while in Syrian Antioch. And it's when they're back in Syrian Antioch that they hear about these people that have gone up to the Galatian churches that you can see on your map, they hear about the fact that people have been undermining their message, okay? And so what Paul does is he is going to use a situation that happens when he gets back to Syrian Antioch with Peter as a teaching opportunity. Okay, let's just, that may be clear as mud, but let's see if we can jump in here. So Galatians 2.11, now this happens after Paul gets back. He and Barnabas, they're ministering in Syrian Antioch. And Peter comes down, the great Peter. Who here doesn't love Peter? We all love Peter. I mean, Peter is incredible. So when they get back to Syrian Antioch, 
We don't know exactly why, but Peter shows up, probably just to check out how the church is going at Syrian Antioch, maybe to hear about Paul's missionary journey. And when Peter comes back, he initially eats with Gentiles. He's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating bacon with them at breakfast, having a great time with the Gentiles. Then something happens that changes. Let's look. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, he was clearly in the wrong. For before certain men came from James, we find out in Acts later, these men from James didn't have James' approval. These men from James had gone rogue. They had gone on their own authority and were saying things to Peter that had not been approved. For before certain men came from, came from James, James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. James is the brother of Jesus. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he, Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. This is great. Of course he was. He had gotten the food vision. He knew that the Gentiles were clean. He wasn't honoring the food laws. He was having good fellowship with the Gentiles. But when they, meaning the so-called men from James, when they came, he, Peter, drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, last time I checked, Peter is not a man-fearer. Okay, Peter, he does not, he is not easily intimidated. He has stood up to the circumcision party before. And yet something here causes Peter to do something he shouldn't have done. Verse 13, so he separates himself, fearing the circumcision party. What do you think that means? That means he withdrew from fellowship. So he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles, spending time with them, eating with them. He stopped doing that, okay? What do you think, what message do you think that conveyed to the Gentiles? Well, you can see. Look at verse 14. Paul writes, if you, though a Jew... Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so what Peter was essentially saying is, in order to be saved, in order to be right with God, you've got to live like a Jew. By not eating with them, by separating from them, he was saying to the Gentiles, in order to be acceptable to God, you have to do these things. Okay, so let's... So verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, because Peter was a luminary. Peter was Peter. Peter was the rock. Peter was the leader among equals. And when Peter made this decision and he separated himself, Barnabas followed suit. Do you understand how significant Barnabas was in the early church? Barnabas was the one who went to get Saul when they ministered at Syria and Antioch. Barnabas was a significant figure. Now he has separated himself from the Gentiles. Verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all. Can you imagine how significant this event was? He publicly rebukes Peter. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. It was devastating because of what it indirectly communicated. It indirectly communicated to the Gentiles 
that acceptance before God was trust in Jesus plus other things. Trust in Jesus plus circumcision. Trust in Jesus plus the kosher laws. And Paul said that is no gospel at all. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law. Not by these Old Testament laws. What does he say in Galatians 2, 15? You know, if, if, if you just had five minutes with someone, if you just had five minutes with someone and you had to explain the gospel... Galatians 2, 15 and 16 would be the most important verses you could use. That is the gospel distilled into its purest essence. Okay, let me read again. Look at verse 16, Galatians 2, 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified. They are not made right with God by what? By works of the law. We know that a person is not justified by being circumcised or honoring the food laws or any of those other things, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified or made right with God by faith in Christ, he says it again, and not by works of the law. You can't say it any more clearly than this, because by the works of the law, by doing good works, no one will be made right with God. And Peter separating himself indirectly communicated it's Jesus plus. And Paul could not allow that. Not for a moment. He had to publicly rebuke Peter. But why do you think Peter did this? I'm kind of let down by Peter. Like, what is he thinking? This is like inconsistent with his character. Okay, we all know that, that you know, he, um, he, he betrayed, or, or didn't betray, but he forsook Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He denied him three times. Jesus restores him three times. This is many years later. Peter has grown. He's matured. I mean, he is a pillar of the church. What made him do this? Why did he separate himself? We think what happened is this. These men from James weren't really from James, but they represented themselves like they were from James. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And they are what we call, it says they're of the circumcision party. So there was a group of Jews that we refer to as Judaizers. There were a group of Jews who believed that in order to be saved, it's Jesus, but then we have to honor all of these Old Testament laws. Paul tells us in Galatians 6 why they felt that way. I'll read it to you. It's not in your notes. In Galatians 6, Paul writes, Those who force you to be circumcised, this is Galatians 6, 12, those who force you to be circumcised do so in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So what's happening is, just imagine in your mind's eye, there's all these Jews in Jerusalem that have trusted in the Lord Jesus. Many of them now are not requiring their children to be circumcised. Um, many of them are not honoring food laws anymore. So there are all these Jews in Jerusalem 
who, who to some degree are living like Gentiles. How do you think that went over with the non-believing Jews? They were already persecuting the Christians, these Jews who believed in Jesus, for their belief in Jesus. They were also persecuting these Christian Jews because these Christian Jews weren't honoring the kosher laws. And so there was massive persecution against Christian Jews. Peter is afraid that by fellowshipping with these Gentiles that his Christian Jewish friends in Jerusalem are taking lots of heat. Peter wasn't worried about himself. He wasn't personally intimidated. He was worried that the Jews in Jerusalem are going to be persecuted and hunted down and hurt. And so he thought, okay, in order to help them, in order that they might not have it so hard, I'm going to withdraw myself from the Gentiles. Okay, and maybe that will calm things down in Jerusalem. His motive was good. I think Peter's heart was in the right place. It's just how he responded was wrong because of what it communicated about the gospel. It's so important. I mean, like, this, 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 is, this is the essence. This is what the message of the new covenant was as Paul went all over the world. He went all over the world preaching Christ. Preaching the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing else for salvation. And of course we do the same thing that they did. We kind of lapse into a kind of Christianity where we think that God accepts us. You know, if we, if we you know, are faithful in our quiet times. Um, if we... Uh, give perhaps money to the church if we are a godly spouse if we honor our mothers on Mother's Day you know if we're generally good people sometimes we kind of lapse into a works-based Christianity where we think God accepts us because of our of our morality God does not accept us because of our morality our quiet times our church giving our church attendance any of that Okay, that is a dilution of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's mission to the Gentiles was a mission of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that's everything. And as the people of God, we always have to be asking ourselves the question, what are we functionally trusting in other than Jesus? Are we trusting in our wisdom? Are we trusting in how much we've grown? And how much we've matured. Do we think God loves us because of those things? Do we think that God accepts us because of those things? God only accepts us because of the Lord Jesus. His blood and his righteousness. That is the gospel. And that's why he wrote the book of Galatians. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, your, your word is, is, is complex and it's deep, and it's amazing. Father, we thank you for giving us all these different kinds of, of letters and books of the Bible for, for the rich history of the church that Luke gives us in the book of Acts, and, and in a sense, Paul's memoirs, his letters that he wrote to all of these churches, and we thank you for how all the parts relate to the whole and how, how the message of the gospel 
comes through so clearly that at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, it's about the person and work, the life and death of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, may we be a people that trust not in our goodness, our quiet times, our morality. May we be a people that trust in Jesus alone. In his matchless name we pray, amen and amen.